Hey, what's up, folks? Today you're tuning into the MJ Show. I'm Mario. And I'm JJ. We are current undergraduate students that love researching crises. Every week, we compare all types of crises and fill you in on what happened, what went wrong, and what could have been done better. If you're trying to learn more about corporate responsibility, crisis management, and what the heck happens when things hit the fan, this is the show for you. Today, as per usual, JJ and I are going to give you a brief overview of the two crises we dove into for this week. After that, we'll break down the crises more specifically and compare and analyze what went down. So JJ, tell us what happened. Yeah, thanks, Mario. Uh, so today I'm going to be looking at the uh, Exxon Valdez oil spill. Um, at the time, this was the largest oil spill in U.S. waters. It occurred on March 24th, 1989, when the Exxon Valdez which is a uh, oil tanker crashed into the Bly Reef in Prince William Sound, Alaska. The ship was carrying 1.3 million barrels of oil, which equates to about 54 million gallons. And after the ship struck the reef, the oil spilled out rapidly for the next couple of days, totaling about 11 million total gallons spilled into the Prince William Sound. After this, the uh, cleanup process started, and quite frankly, it was a mess. Um, a storm hit a few days later on March 26th, which spread the oil over a thousand mile radius and uh, diluted it with the water, just further complicating this cleanup process. Along with this, there was confusion on who was supposed to lead up the cleanup operation, uh, which you know caused even more delay. And then ultimately it wasn't until after the summer of 1991 that the federal government declared the cleanup job complete. However, there were many long lasting impacts uh, that surrounding ecosystems and communities felt for decades after, even after the, uh, the federal government declared this complete. So um, it, was it was pretty interesting to see that even the Alaskan Oil Spill Commission, um, after their investigation, they determined that uh, this spill could have been prevented. Um, that's something we can get into later. I think for now, let's, let's just hear a little bit about your event and, and see if we can compare the two. Yeah, no, for sure. Thanks for sharing. Um, the crisis uh, I researched was the BP Texas oil refinery explosion that happened on March 23rd, 2005. This explosion was caused because operators commenced the startup process of an ISOM unit. Um, so now I'm about to spit out some technical terms about a, a refinery process, so bear with me, but an ISOM unit is used to separate raffinite into light and heavy components. Raffinite, um, which I'll use multiple times later, is highly flammable liquid hydrocarbons. Um, and after these components are separated, they can be used for gasoline blending or chemical feed. Anyway, operators had to fill the raffinite tower with highly flammable liquid, aka raffinite. Um, for multiple reasons that we'll get into later, the operators unknowingly end up overfilling the tower, a tower that is about 150 feet tall. When the tower begins to overfill, the liquid is sent to an emergency relief system. Now the system was super antiquated and built in the 1950s and cannot hold all the liquid it received. This resulted in more than a tanker full of hot gasoline spilling out onto the ground and forming a gigantic flammable vapor cloud. Unfortunately, there was a nearby truck um, and it ends up backfiring, which ignites the entire vapor cloud causing a massive explosion. The explosion heavily damaged the ISOM unit. It destroyed nearby trailers, led to 15 deaths, 180 people injured, caused BP around $1.5 billion in damages, had the refinery out of service for a little more than two years. Man, this uh, seems like 
quite the crisis that uh, BP had to deal with there. Um, but I know there, there's definitely more that's, that's happening below the surface here, especially, um, you know, for these two events. And I think we should definitely look more deeply into that. And with that being said, I think it'd be a good time to uh, hop into some similarities and differences between these two cases. All right, JJ, we just did a quick overview of our crises. Um, so why don't you take us a bit deeper into how this crisis happened and if any main factors stuck out to you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, there were a few things that really stood out during this, uh, during looking through this, this uh, oil spill here. Um, and I think it can mainly be traced back to human error and organizational mishaps. So the captain of the ship, uh, his name was Joseph Hazelwood. He was under the influence of alcohol when he boarded the ship. Um, it was determined afterwards uh, when he was finally brought aground that he was tested and he was 50% over the legal limit, um, his blood alcohol content. So, you know, that was something that, that definitely stood out to me. And then along with that, he uh, changed the course of the ship and then handed the reins over to his third mate, who, first of all, was not qualified to work the ship. And more than that, he was exhausted and overworked um, just from long shifts and, and little breaks. So um, with that being said, it was it was just bound for disaster, honestly, when when the Exxon Valdez left the ship, but left the port and headed into uh, the Bly Reef. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would not want to be an underqualified person steering that entire ship. Um, but that actually points to, I feel like we can find a lot of similarities with my crisis as well. Um, and I guess it's funny because both of these companies are both, um, you know, they're energy companies, and that's maybe why there's a few similarities. Um, but human, human errors were most definitely present um, on March 23rd during that day of the explosion. Um, there are a lot, but I'll list a few because one actually directly relates kind of to, to your um, human error, which was there was a day supervisor um, during the startup process who had to leave unexpectedly from a shift because of a family medical emergency. But I know this isn't necessarily his fault, um, but he doesn't end up replacing himself with another supervisor. Um, this meant that he left a underqualified uh, day operator to look over three refinery units um, the ISOM unit being one of them, uh, which actually needed really close attention. So we just see here someone underqualified and having a lot on, on their plate. Um, I think it's also important for my crisis to mention a bit more detail about the startup process so you get a bit of an idea of what's going on. Um, the startup process began at 2.15 a.m. in the morning. Uh, the explosion happened around 1.15 p.m., a little bit after that. Uh, the startup process was not something continuous, but had multiple breaks, and it involved a night and day crew. Another human error that ends up occurring was the lack of communication between the night and day crew. Um, and just really, there was a lack of communication in general present at the refinery. Anyway, the night operator left an hour early um, from a shift, and he left a very minimal and unclear comment on the logbook for the day operators to see. Um, did not indicate to them how much liquid was pumped into the tower, very important information, uh, nor, did they, uh, nor did he instruct them about what to do next. Uh, There's a lot of other miscommunications throughout the process. Another example is a control valve being left closed because operators received conflict, conflicting instructions. This closed valve blocked liquid from exiting the tower um, and I guess the eventual problem that ends up happening is the tower overfills. So a lot of miscommunication we see here. 
Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's a great point that you mentioned about the similarities in these two organizations um, as they are both energy companies. And I think this is something that, you know, definitely is industry wide. But, you know, another, another thing I noticed um, that you mentioned, another similarity is this lack of communication. Um, I, I definitely saw this during the cleanup process for the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Um, there were a few different organizations involved in the cleanup of the oil spill. And it took, you know, several months for, for this to really be resolved and, and people to start being on the same page and finally start making progress and cleaning the oil out of the, uh, out of the water there. So it started with Alieska pipeline service company. Um, they failed within the first few days of the cleanup. Uh, initially their main barge that was supposed to come in and, you know, remove most of this oil was being serviced. And that was something that they failed to report to the Alaskan government. Um, and then along with that, Many of their workers were out that day as it was Good Friday, so a holiday, um, and they were understaffed. And, and then finally, um, you know, being in Alaska, being in a remote spot, there were a lot of their equipment was under snow and it took them time to shovel it out, which, which definitely delayed their response time to get out there and help slow this oil when the first few days are really crucial. Um, so Exxon kind of had to take uh, matters into their own hands. They ended up contract, uh, contracting an outside company called Vico, and uh, they were tasked with hiring outside labor uh, to handle part of this cleanup. They too did not do a great job of handling this cleanup process. Um, and all of this sort of back and forth of who was in charge went around until late April. Um, so about a month and a half of, of 1989 until the government stepped in and allowed the Coast Guard to take control. And I think this lack of communication between these different organizations and, and overall lack of an action plan was really detrimental to this whole cleanup process. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I can only imagine it being like a, a super hard cleanup process. And I doubt a lot of people had experience. Um, but the lack of communication between organizations makes it much harder. Um, but yeah, with that, I, I do also want to dive a bit deeper into the organizational and managerial factor, factors that contributed um, to my crisis. And I'm guessing to yours as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the human errors that occurred are individual incidents, but I believe they reflect more than that. Um, I know at BP, there were a lot of executive and managerial shortcomings that gave space for human errors to occur um, and ultimately led to this unexpected yet predictable explosion. Uh, you know, firstly, when BP took over the refinery in 1999, they immediately implemented budget cuts that reduced operator and supervisor staff which was much needed, especially during a startup process. On top of this, BP failed to invest properly in safety process equipment. Um, and they also put a lot of pressure on refineries um, to produce a lot. Uh, this really reflects um, you know, a senior executive problem and a board of director problem. I think the board of directors didn't really understand uh, why they should prioritize safety more. Or do I think they realize the consequences and risks that could occur if things happened um, like uh, the explosion? Um, and uh, this lack of leadership um, and you know, poor guidance in terms of creating a safety culture really trickled down to the, the managers at the Texas oil refinery. Um, you know, there was no effective reporting or learning going on. Um, and employees didn't have that psychological safety needed to report problems and to be transparent. Yeah, this is this is definitely a big problem. And I really liked how you, how you talked about the organizations and the managers, you know, trying to take shortcuts to save their bottom lines. We saw 
many examples of this, you know, throughout our class and in these two cases here, um, the same type of moves were made by Exxon. You know, they cut down the amount of workers that they had on each tanker and reduce, reduce the uh, lengths of brakes that they have. And this led to overworked and exhausted crew, which was really just a recipe for, for disaster. And they were uh, bound to make some mistakes. Um, so it is interesting to see that these energy companies operate this way, you know, when the industry that they operate in is very high stakes, you know, we see the outcomes of both of these instances. Um, and it seems like they just weren't being very precautious. It just, it really stood out to me while reading this case. Um, you know, Exxon tried to save a few dollars in the short term, but ended up losing over $3.8 billion because of cleanup costs and litigation. And even worse than their financial loss that they saw, Exxon was responsible for the death of, you know, a lot of animals. And there's some statistics out there, some estimates that say it was 250,000 seabirds, 2,800 sea otters, 300 harbor seals, 250 bald eagles, and up to 22 killer whales along with that, um, there were loss of billions of salmon and heron eggs, you know, so that that's a big impact on the ecosystems there. And along with that, um, local towns and cities were also devastated. So many of the people in the surrounding areas relied on these waters, not only as a source of food, uh, but as a source of income in terms of fishing. And this spill contaminated these waters so bad that many of these towns, you know, the people there, they, they couldn't make an income anymore. So they either left or they fell victim to drugs and alcohol addiction. Um, so it was really Exxon's nearsightedness and in, in looking to cut costs that ended up costing them billion, billions, um, but also, you know, ruin local ecosystems and towns uh, and finally just sort of damage their reputation. That's a really interesting point. And, and I love that, that sentence they used about how, you know, these people, these companies in these industries operate a certain way, knowing that their industry is super high stakes um, but yeah, I mean, that environmental and damage and also to communities is really, really big. And I think that's where we can start seeing a few differences between both of our crises. I mean, yes, BP did have to pay a lot of money due to damages um, and compensation to families and workers. Uh, but I don't think the impact of the crisis was that long lasting or far reaching. Um, it only took two years for the refinery to be back up and running as normal. Um, though it did bring some changes to, you know, safety policies and other things like that, um, it really didn't have that far-reaching and long-lasting impact as Valdez. Uh, and I think something else that is important to note, or, or another difference, is the way that, you know, stakeholders were affected by the crisis. Um, yes, I think in both cases, stakeholders were damaged and hurt. Um, but I can tell that for Valdez, um, a lot more people and the environment as a whole were hurt. Um, and it was a lot more far reaching. You know, in, in Texas, um, in BP, the oil refinery was located in, you know, a large town in Texas. Uh, BP had an amazing reputation with the town because it employed a lot of people. You know, BP is a, a very, you know, rich um, company. So they invested a lot in the community, really favored in the, the public's eye. Um, and though, yes, the explosion led to deaths and serious injuries, uh, the oil refinery still had, you know, a good standing with the public. Um, and one things, once things got back to normal, you know, people were still willing to work there and it kind of just went back to normal. But I don't think we could say the same for your crisis. No, definitely not. I mean, many of the locals were just not happy with Exxon after this incident. Um, you know, there are accounts of people uh, looking back on it, remembering, crying on the beaches, witnessing, you know, the, the dead Marine life washing up on the shore 
Um, you know, these people weren't just losing their source of food or, or their income, you know, they were psychologically affected after this crisis. Um, and it's just surprising for me that some of these oil and energy companies haven't learned from these different crises that we've seen, um, especially after looking at the impacts that they've had and, you know, being in these towns. Um, I know you said BP is, is pretty close to this town, but they, they've also had major incidents like Deepwater Horizon. Um, so I just wonder, you know, what sort of lessons or recommendations you might have for BP and even Exxon as, you know, they're pretty similarly related after looking at these incidents. Yeah, you know, I mean, as we learn from class, you know, every crisis has a learning phase, um, which is really important because it can either help you prepare yourself better um, or lead to making, you know, companies making the same mistake. Um, and as you can guess, you know, as everyone in the class can guess, BP may not have done the best job with the learning phase after the Texas explosion. Um, either way, I think a few recommendations that come to mind um, is most definitely focusing on making some managerial and executive changes um, in order to prioritize safety more. For BP, I would recommend that their board of directors realize the importance of safety um, and specifically process safety because they have a big blind spot for that. And as we learned from the Deepwater Horizon case, they, they focus a lot on worker injury, but not on process safety. Um, so yeah, they most definitely need to make a better effort to address uh, the lack of safety culture present at their refineries. Um, with that being said, you know, that means that they need to prioritize it more uh, and by allocating more resources to safety management. Um, but also being, you know, especially for the executives, being more of a leader um, and showing that leadership from the top uh, in order to drive organizational change. Uh, on the other hand, I think managers at the refineries could do a, a lot better job of creating more of an inclusive and psychologically safe environment. Um, this would allow, you know, employees to be able to report issues um, just more transparent, transparently. Um, and at ease and also create a space for effective learning um, for the employees. Yeah, I think a lot of those recommendations would definitely carry over to Exxon, especially, um, you know, that implementation of psychological safety. I think that that certainly could have played a role in helping to prevent the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Um, you know, if a crewmate would have felt comfortable maybe to speak up that their captain was drinking the day of, um, you know, hours before taking off, um, you know, maybe they would have found a replacement or something like that to guide the ship through the uh, through the reef there. And along with this, I think, you know, companies can also start directly investing in safety as a way to, you know, increase automation. I think doing this would decrease human, human error um, for Exxon. You know, this could mean more autopilot systems to prevent this this human error that we saw with the captain and the third mate. Um but even I know at the time, the automation wasn't there technology-wise, so maybe things like radar and sonar, um, you know, update those systems uh, to detect these reefs or, you know, even icebergs that might be in the water. Um, but I can see this carrying over even for BP, you know, looking at your incident, maybe um, having automated pressure valves or, you know, improving warning systems uh, potentially could have prevented the explosion at the refinery. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with you. Um... I know the control boardroom at the refinery lacked the necessary tools to be able to, you know, spot human errors, um, but also it lacked the tools to detect, you know, key information that would have helped prevent the raffinite tower from overflowing, like being able to measure how much liquid was in the tower itself. Um, but yeah, this just comes to say that, you know, automation and, you know, 
investment in safety technology is a must. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the MJ Show. Today, we talked a little bit about two major energy companies and the crises they faced. We spoke about how organizational shortcomings contributed to human errors that led to unexpected yet predictable crises. It is important for the companies to create a culture of safety and invest more in safety management to prevent events like this from happening again. With that being said, we hope you learned a thing or two and enjoyed the show. Be sure to tune in next week where we'll break down some more crises. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a positive review on iTunes and following us on all of our social media platforms at The Real MJ Show.